I don't know if you ever notice, um, uh, <laughs> but if you have Facebook and you have, you know, those friends with scanners, um, and some of you are at this stage and you're going to pay for it later, um, but I'm going to do a service to my children and not let them have Facebook until they know how to dress themselves properly. Um, because one of my friends from high school um, decided uh, to use his scanner, and you can go on my Facebook and look at how I dressed in high school. All right? Um, now, I lived in northern Ontario in Canada, and, uh, so, and, and this is pre-internet, so movements actually moved, all right? And we had rap which came up from the south and grunge which came from the west coast kind of hit at the same time uh, and that creates a lot of awkwardness you know and and your shorts are hanging down uh, but you're you've got uh, like plaid underwear for some reason right and uh, and you think this is a good decision um, because I, I saw this on some show or, or something like that or and your hair is, is shaved up and I actually shaved my head except for my bangs and they were sticking up and, and this was a good decision right and, and I know you're laughing, but at the time, I also had a, I had a beard in high school, and so you wouldn't have laughed at me uh, because things would have happened. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you hit these awkward phases, and the lucky among us, people didn't have cameras. Uh, but, but we all kind of go through these awkward phases, and probably you think right now that you're pretty hip. And in 10 years, you're going to look back and notice... Wow, that was not as hip as I thought, you know? Uh, you might be caring about things that you think are really important. You might be dressing in ways or doing your hair in a way that's really cool. Um, but you're going to find out later, whoops, <laughs> right? Uh, it's best, this is why I always tell kids when I do premarital counseling, I tell the husband, just shave everything, all right? Because you're going to think you look really cool. But look at your dad's picture, all right? And he thought that was really cool, and don't wear a white tuxedo. But um, so my dad wore a white tuxedo too, so uh, I apologize if you wore a white tuxedo. That was really cool at the time. Uh, but there is like this awkwardness that we tend to think that this awkwardness was this thing in this past, but this awkwardness seems to be something that like haunts us and follows us, you know? And it seems to be this, life isn't like an awkward stage and then transition into a non-awkward stage. It's just like a series of awkward stages. And, and you just don't notice how awkward it is right now. Because when you were in middle school and when you were in high school, or if you were a late bloomer in college, then you thought you were pretty cool. You thought you had it all together. And then you look back and you're like, wow, that was terrible. You know, like when you first got your license and you went, well, I must be a good driver. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given me a license, right? And then you get in five accidents, your first five years of driving, right? Um, but the roads were icy. But there's, uh, there is this kind of, um, uh, you, you think, I've got it all together. Uh, and then you realize later, wow, I so didn't have it all together. And, and then you get together with grandma or grandpa and they say to you, you know what, I think I'm really starting to understand what faith is about. And they've been a Christian for 60 years. And you're like, thanks, I appreciate that. Because I thought I had it figured out. I've been a Christian for three and a half years now, you know. And then I read most of the Bible, and you're telling me 60 years into this, you think you're starting to figure this out. I think this happens in Christianity a lot, where we think where we're at is pretty good. You know, like if you weren't a Christian two months ago and now you are a Christian, that's pretty good. 
right? You've made a, a big transition. You've made a lot of growth. Uh, if you, though, if your Christianity looks exactly the same, if you've been a Christian your whole life and your Christianity looks the same as it did in junior high, at some point we need to ask ourselves, like, what's going on? Like, where is the growth? Now, I can look back on my life and I can point to transitions, all right? Uh, I was 10 years old and I got saved in a little Pentecostal church um, when I was 15. And, I, and, and that was when I used the word Jesus became my savior. But I didn't really let him be in charge of my life until I was 16, 15 or 16 um, at a camp. And then when I was uh, 19 or 20, I responded to the call of Jesus. But the most significant for me is, uh, it, was, it was kind of funny, when I finished Bible college, and if you go to a Bible college, uh, you come up with something called Bible college disease, where you've taken a class on the Bible, and so you think you know everything, right? And so you go to these older folks, and this is, I love like brand new pastors, are the best pastors, because they roll in and they're like, I'm going to tell you how to live for Jesus. And there's a grandma there who's been a Christian twice as long as they've been alive, right? And they're like... We will fix that on the recording. And uh, you can minister to me by pretending that didn't happen. Um, uh, so when you go to Bible college, you have this moment where you think you know everything and you know how things are. And then at some point you find out you don't know anything. For me at this point came um, the guy who was my ministry coach and he was one of my professors when I was in um, Bible college and volunteering in youth groups and stuff. Uh, he suggested I read this book. And it was a book by a guy named Brian McLaren uh, who you either love or you hate. You, if you're, you either think he's a heretic or the new leader of the church. And he's one of those kind of guys. So he presents things in a way that forces you to have an opinion about him. And he, in his book, uh, he was raising questions that I didn't think we were allowed to ask. And, and now I don't agree with everything that every author says, okay, so don't camp me with if you're, you know, a part of the Lighthouse Trails research that hates Brian McLaren or something. Uh, you know, uh, it, I don't agree with everything, anything anybody writes except for Jesus, but uh, when, he read the, when I read this book, it opened all these things up, and I remember emailing my professor back and saying, hey, thanks for screwing my whole life up. <laughs> Because I had graduated Bible college, I knew how to be a youth pastor, and I was going to have a sweet youth pastor career doing the same thing every four years, right? Uh, and I would just have this, you would come in as a freshman in my youth group and crank, 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 ding, you'd come out as a magical Christian and be a missionary to Umbubatu or something like that. And, and, and it would just be, and I would be pretty amazing, like the next Martin Luther kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and then it just, I read this book, and it asked questions, and I went, wait a second, life isn't just this static rollover where I'm going to do the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing until the end, until my body stops working and I leave, right? Life is actually going to grow and my Christianity is going to grow and my understanding of who God is 
is going to grow. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're a Christian and you're walking along and maybe it's in worship or in reading your Bible or in a teaching or a book that you read. It just like opens up this whole other part of God that you didn't even know existed. And you're like, well, dang, that kind of changes things. Uh, like you think you had this figured out. Here's what God is like and here's what Christianity is like. And then somebody goes, well, what about that? And you're like, well, we're going to ignore that because that's going to screw up with my categories here. And if, and if you mess with my categories, I'm going to have to acknowledge that I don't have it all figured out. Because if I have it figured out, I feel good. I feel safe. <laughs> I feel stylish. But if I notice, then when I look back, it looks exactly the same. Then there's a lack of growth there. The Christian life is compared to like, like plants, Right? And if you plant something, it might look really good at one stage. But if it looks the same 40 years from now, there might be a problem. It's plastic, right? <laughs> you know? So there is this, there's, that's a fake plant. And, and, and there's a danger of your Christianity being something that is, that is fake, that is not real. And, and so we, really, our Christianity should be like this, uh, I wrote down this word, perpetual adolescence. Um, and, and adolescence, I think, like being a teenager is cool. Being an adolescent is just awkward, isn't it? Like when you hear the word teenager, cool. When you hear the word adolescent, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and, and when I was testing zit creams to see what worked. And, and like, it's just awkward. That was my late 20s. But um, <laughs> it, there's just this awkwardness to it. And I think that Christianity has this perpetual awkwardness to it then we're trying to figure this thing out because Jesus calls us to be perfect and what does that mean? And, and does that mean I never make another mistake because I keep making mistakes? Or, and how do I extend grace and how do I live in this way? This is why we're going to look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to you just really quickly. It will be on the screen. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So it's on a mountain, okay? Um, and this is Matthew 5, 6, 7. And in the spring before Easter, we talked about the Beatitudes, which is the first 14 verses. Um, and, uh, sorry, 12 verses. Uh, and this is how it begins, though. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And, and this is, the hymn is Jesus. And so he saw the crowds, Jesus did. He went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and it's when the crowds came up, his disciples came to him. Uh, now his disciples, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew until, well, over the next few years we're going to do this. And his disciples aren't called, like the twelve disciples, if you went to Sunday school, the twelve disciples aren't called until Matthew chapter 10. And so his disciples right now aren't the people that he selected, they're the people who selected him. So they're the people who've decided that Jesus is the teacher that I'm going to dedicate my life to following. Jesus is the guy who I, like, I think I figured this out. Here's how I want to live, the way this new rabbi is, is going around. And in their culture, there would be a rabbi or a teacher in a Jewish culture, and, and then he would have disciples. And there would be people, disciples were kind of like applicants who wanted to follow him, and then you would allow them to or not allow them to according to a test that you gave them. Are you good enough? Or are you not good enough? And at this point, Jesus was still having these crowds of people who wanted to follow him. And Jesus sits down on a mountainside and rolls out the Sermon on the Mount on these people. Uh, so there's this whole group of people who have figured it out. They've identified the Messiah, and because we know the end of the story, they've identified the right Messiah. 
They've figured out, this is the guy. This is the guy who we want to listen to. They might not understand he's the Son of God. He's here to show us how to live. He's going to die on a cross and resurrect to pay the penalty for sin. He's going to provide for us to be able to live with the Father. But they understand that this is the guy. And so they're right. And they've got something figured out. If they're taking Facebook photos, you should be proud of this right here. Right? And now... uh, if they were Twittering, they would have missed the whole thing, right? But, uh, which is why Jesus didn't come right now. But they're sitting there, and Jesus drops the Sermon on the Mount on them, and he basically takes their whole religious system, grabs it by the ankles, turns it upside down, and shakes it till the pockets are empty. The Sermon on the Mount is this... Um, like, I don't want to use the word revolution because it's too cheap. The word revolution, like, isn't good enough. It marks this, really, this huge transition in Jesus' life. Where Jesus goes from preparing, where Jesus goes from getting ready, where he grows, changes from growing to where he's, um, he's doing ministry. He's, he's sharing his message. Uh, Jesus is beginning to have his impact, not just on the world around him, but on human history. This is the moment. This is the first speech. These are the, the opening remarks for Jesus' uh, total, uh, what we would call a revolution. Uh, and he begins this list. Listen to this. He talks about what your role in the world is, about your anger, your, um, about murder, about your lust, about marriage, about your divorce, about your integrity, your revenge, your enemies, poverty, prayer, fasting, money, anxiety, judging, uh, your growth, um, what authority is in this world. And Jesus goes through this long list and he just sits down and gives this sermon where he says over and over, you've heard it said... But I'm saying to you, uh, you've got it figured out, but I'm saying this is the way that things are. You think you know what I stand for. You think you know what God is about, but I'm telling you it's this right over here. And he takes everything that they thought they knew, and he creates this incredible awkward moment where everyone goes, well, dang, well, now I look stupid. (laughs) Because you said it was this. I thought it was that. Yeah. And, and Jesus just lays this out. And just when they thought they had figured it out, they said to Jesus, well, thanks for screwing everything up. I had made, like, plans to follow you. And now you've changed the whole agenda. I would made plans where this was going to be, like, my rut. I was going to ride this. Uh, I was going to have a good time here. And then you just changed everything around. Uh, Tell me that isn't the story of Jesus working in our lives. We think we have it figured out. And Jesus drops the Sermon on the Mount on us. Or Jesus drops a new revelation on us. Or opens our eyes up to something that we didn't know. A sin that we didn't realize. um, A way of living that we were missing the mark on. And yet Jesus drops it on them. Uh, now, together, I want to talk about us together as a group. And we're going to talk about this a bit today. Um, so you know, too, I was at ManFest last week, and uh, it was just super. I'm going to talk about this in a second. But I had asked uh, the men who were there on Sunday morning to be fasting with me this week in preparation for this message, because we have some huge things going on at the Grove. And uh, just huge, 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 huge. Biggest things ever are happening right now at the Grove. And so a bunch of men were fasting this week. Uh, just the Sunday morning men... Um, If you weren't there on Sunday morning, I apologize. You didn't get to not eat and just pray. Um, When I fast, it's incredibly embarrassing because it reveals how unspiritual I am. Um, But uh, 
it's also my birthday tomorrow, and I'm turning 35, uh, which I like to think of my age in terms of numbers, but 35, ugh, right? 35, that guy plays for Oklahoma. All right. Uh, he is standing in between, uh, you know, Jesus and what Jesus wants. Uh, LeBron James have six championships, but... Um, <laughs> so, all right. Uh, you can still be a Christian and, and cheer for Oklahoma. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, anyway, uh, the Grove is in a, a huge transition time. Uh, and uh, if you're an Oklahoma fan, still pay attention because I'm going to jump on your bandwagon when you win. So, um, <laughs> the Grove is in like a transition time as a church. We were this like mission church. We're two and a half years old. It's going to be three years in, in October. And if you think about a, a kid, that really is kind of a, a transition time, two and a half, three years old, uh, where you start to regret teaching them to walk and talk, right? Uh, and, and as a church, we've kind of learned to walk and talk, except we're like a 300-pound toddler. Uh, we're able to really roll out and, and do some remarkable stuff. But we're in this transition time. When, when we first started as a church, when people came... Uh, like in our first six months, if they needed something or they were hurting, we weren't able to help them. Like we literally didn't have a support system set up to be able to help people. And so we actually helped people find help. Like we, there was some, uh, I still remember this, the first woman to leave our church. And we told her to. Uh, she had a daughter that needed to be in a, in a solid youth ministry just for the situation that her life was in. And we were like, we don't have that. And it's going to be months before we do. But across the street is the best youth pastor in town. And you should go there. Uh, like we trust him and he's fantastic and he will help your family. Uh, and that's, that was the first person to leave our church. Uh, we told her to. So, um, but we weren't equipped to do everything that a church does, right? Do you understand that? Just like a baby isn't equipped to do everything that a human does, uh, you don't look at your baby and say, all right, it's time to go to the bathroom. It's in there, right? You, there's just, um, well, if, that's wrong parenting if you do that. But, uh, but there's, um, uh, we just kind of now have grown into being a church where we've gone through crisis, we've gone through things to where we're starting to be able to have the system and have the support in place to be able to care for each other. And uh, we're being able to be a church, not just a church plant or not just a mission effort. Uh, and, and so when you start a church, it's really like cause-oriented. It's we're starting a church. We're doing this thing. Uh, 85% of church plants fail, all right? Uh, like 85% of them don't make it two and a half years. They actually don't make it three years. Uh, so the, the, we're like a 15 in 100 example of... of and, and I don't think it's because we're awesome at this. I don't think it's because of, of anything magical. Uh, we as a group of people seem to be able to sense what God is doing and seem to be humble enough to follow Jesus into the ways that Jesus is leading. Alright? Uh, if you look back five, ten years, you never thought, hey, you know where I want to be on a Sunday morning? Nams. Right? Uh, in, a, in a cafeteria at a middle school. Because that's what life is about. Right? You didn't he didn't think that, but for some reason this seems to be what God is doing. And, and, and so we had this cause or this advocacy thing going on. And there's an adjustment happening in our church where we're changing from being cause-oriented to wanting to follow Jesus. And instead of, we need to establish this thing, we're asking the question is, what does it look like for the Grove to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to be Christians in 2012 
here in Albany. Uh, what does that look like? And how do we follow Jesus in our world? Uh, and so there's these little shifts happening. Uh, um, I, here's how I, I... This is kind of one of my responsibilities as, as a, a leader of the Grove is to uh, help us identify where we're le- going and, and be able to check those things. Uh, these are our uh, summer t-shirts this year. Okay, The softball team's wearing them. If you volunteer at VBS, you get one. Uh, if you don't and you want to look like you volunteer, you can buy one. Um, but uh, uh, we also have some long sleeve shirts and some hoodies. If you're going camping this summer, it'll be really cool to have those on. Take some pictures and we can collect those, you know, you by the Eiffel Tower and stuff. But um, uh, this is, on, it says the Grove, right? Because that's what we named the church. But it says this, for Jesus, for people. All right? That's always been kind of the slogan of the, of the Grove. Uh, the Grove exists for Jesus. It doesn't exist for you. It exists for Jesus. Okay? Uh, you don't exist for you. You exist for Jesus. And we think that's important enough to say it out loud. Like, we, you infer that, but I think it's important that we just um, mention that and talk about it. But up till now, like when we first started, we had this shirt called The Grove, and it had a, like a tree and a sunrise and some birds, right? And, and because we wanted people to say, what's The Grove? And, and church people would say to us, that should say The Grove Church, so people know it's a church. And we said, well, actually, the people we want to have conversations with don't like church, and so we need to not tell them. <laughs> because if they knew we were a church, they have a preconceived notion, right? And, and think about this, your friends that aren't Christians... And you ask them, what's church like? And they have a list of five things, none of which you hope are true. Uh, but there's a reason that they think these things. And so we wanted to be able to develop a reputation independent of people's preconceived notions. So we were called The Grove. Uh, AlbanyGrove.com. That's all we would tell you. And we'd say, where are you guys from? And they would, then we would tell them we're a church and they would see us in our community, doing things that were positive for our community, loving people, uh, sharing the good news in a practical way, which allowed us to develop a reputation. Now, you go anywhere. This happened to me twice this week. Uh, like we have, If you're a member, you've made a commitment to invite people to, to church, two people this year. Tell two people about Jesus. Invite two people to come to the Grove. They don't even have to say yes. You just have to invite them. What happens when you start praying that is people start inviting themselves. It's awesome. Happened to me twice this week. Okay, uh, where they're like, "Oh, you're from the Grove. I've heard good things about that church. I'm going to have to come and check it out." What? Well, okay, and and they take away my opportunity to invite them. You know, so that doesn't count. But uh, um, but you, when I talk to people. Oh, and they hear I'm from the Grove and they say I've heard of that place I've heard good things about that place and so the Grove in our culture in our town culturally has a good reputation as a church that loves the city alright not every church in our town has this there are churches in our town that exist to look good for weddings there are churches in our town that exist for their own personal holiness or their own personal sanctification, then there are many churches in our town that exist for the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus exists for the people who are far from God. And if as a church we can establish ourselves and say, we're for you, we're not against you. Like we could have wrote against the devil, against sinners, right? Um, But we really, but then most of us can't be here today. But... um, But we really are able to say, this is what we're about. And there's a cultural shift that happens from being this mystery that nobody knows about to uh, a known known entity, a known organism in our community. So we have these t-shirts that happen. We have, in, in our worship services, there's a change 
from just let's get together and see if we can hit all the right PowerPoint slides <laughs> or let's get together and see if we have enough chairs for everyone to how does the environment we're in affect us? Uh, how does us meeting as a group together, how does that change the dynamic that we have? Um, so that in our worship we're thinking about our environment, not just can we all sing the same songs and see the words and stuff like that. We have a, our, our global impact is shifting. We've been sponsoring missionaries, uh, Brian and Molly, since the day we started. Uh, Brian and Molly uh, Canny are missionaries in Bolivia. Uh, we started just sponsoring M- Molly and then she got married, so we adopted Brian as well. Uh, we accepted him and approved of that because um, you know that's what mattered. But um, we support them in our leadership hub, which is our governing body of our church, is starting to look at uh, who else can we support as a mission, like as a body. One person, like many of you give straight to supporting Brian and Molly, um, but if you put money in the offering, 1% of our budget goes straight to Brian and Molly, all right? Uh, we have uh, three or four 1% items, and so we support Brian and Molly 1% of everything that comes in. So if you give money, then you care about the gospel in Bolivia, which is a hard place to be sharing the gospel. Uh, our life groups. Uh, life groups have changed. Uh, and, and I don't know if you're in one or not in one, but they've changed from uh, like teaching times to caring times where we're hearing about life groups moving each other. We're hearing about life groups praying for each other uh, and setting up their own communities of care for each other. There's life groups that are um, doing baptisms in their groups because people are following Jesus for the first time in their groups and they're getting baptized in their groups. Like this is... Um, this do, like this is amazing for real. Like uh, this doesn't happen uh, where we have like little mini churches popping up all over the place. Um, our serving. Uh, we started off our church serving in really practical ways. I emptied garbage cans at a three-on-three tournament for two days straight. That sucked, right? Um, but oh, come on, <laughs> like, like you're like, oh, I love doing that. No, it's it's awful. All right, um, and and but we did these things because somebody needs to do them, and we want to show our town that we love our town, and we will do what it needs to be done to make our town better. Now, this was three years ago. Last summer, when we tried to do serving activities, we had a terrible time getting people to serve. Uh, People were busy. uh, People were uh, not interested. And by busy, I mean working on their tan, right? Uh, But we were doing things that... uh, that didn't necessarily have like a face-to-face impact. And like this sounds like I'm lecturing you, like it sounds like I'm giving you trouble, but I want you to listen. What I notice is that people do what they care about, right? And if we're doing something that you're like, why well, I don't see how that has like an impact, uh, then maybe we should do something where you do see how it has an impact. And maybe God is putting a call on your heart and we as a group need to identify those things. Uh, so it's not like I'm going to, you know, hammer my fist and say, you have got to do these things. We're going to do the things that we care about. This isn't going to be a church where James has this magic dream and you all go do it. All right? We've established you won't. All right? And that's part of the reason I like you. Because right? we're not just going to blindly follow the lemming at the front. Uh, but we really are looking at, so how do we serve our community? Uh, we have people coming in and telling stories about, hey, I told my friend about Jesus and then became a Christian. That's pretty cool, huh? That didn't happen the first two years of our church. People became Christians, but they became Christians here on a Sunday morning, right? 
Now people are becoming Christians whenever the heck they feel like it. Uh, which, I'm, I'm going to have to read, read my Bible. But uh, it appears that Jesus wants to work in new ways and in interesting ways. And it's not that that was wrong. It's just that was what we did. Now this is what we're doing. Alright, does that make sense? So it's not like serving people is good or bad. It's like, that's what we did. Now this is what we're doing. Uh, and there'll be someone else, I guess, that God will put it on their heart to do those things. And we'll figure out what God has for us to do in these things. So we're talking about things like, like uh, missions trips. Uh, like uh, actually getting adults out and going and telling people about Jesus. Going and praying for people and doing things like that. Like, what does that look like for us as a community, all right? Um, uh, we have Manfest and Chickapalooza happening. Uh, did I... I got distracted by the whole heat game because it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to go on as long as I want to. That's what I meant to tell you. So I warned the guys at Manfest. There's drinks at the back if you need it, but we're going to be here a long time. So you can fire me or quit coming. It's fine. Uh, I was at Manfest last week, uh, and we have Chickapalooza coming up this fall. Manfest and Chickapalooza are our women's and men's weekends, all right? And, and what they are, uh, like Manfest is the men's one, Chickapalooza is the women's one. And, uh, and, and they, like, they used to be about, let's have fun and build relationships. And there's been this shift happen that's, let's have fun and build relationships and grow spiritually. And, and it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Because nobody sat down and said, you know what we should do? Be more spiritual. It's guys in our church and women in our church who are saying, this is what I want. All right? Like, yeah, I have fun doing those fun things, but this is what I want also. Uh, we started this early morning devotional at, uh, um, uh, at Manfest and a late night devotional, and guys were showing up, getting out of bed early because they wanted to read their Bibles to begin their day. All right? They wanted to know what God had for them. I asked men in our church, men who like to eat, to fast with me this week, and I was getting messages back this week, hey, I'm fasting with you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for what God's doing in our church. All right? This is like radical stuff happening in our men and in our women, alright? Like, if you... Anyway, if you're married to a man that went to Manfest, uh, you're a lucky woman, and he should get, like, something good for Father's Day. Alright, just saying that. Um, like, go down to Ray's and buy a sandwich for him, so... Uh, <laughs> um, we've been praying, and prayers are being answered. Uh, and, and I don't mean this, like, like, I pray all the time, and prayers are always answered. But sometimes I pray for things um, that are outside of, of the boundary. All right? Like, we've started praying for healing for things, and God's done things. All right? Like, I mean, like, actual physical healings. All right? Uh, um, uh, being Father's Day, it's kind of significant. Uh, four years ago, I flew back home. Four years ago? Yeah, four years ago I flew back home to visit my dad because he'd been diagnosed with uh, a frontal temporal lobe dementia, which usually hits you between age 50 and 60 and kills you within five years. All right, Within one year you're supposed to be a vegetable. So the whole family went back. I went back in the summer. Uh, I went back again in October. And my parents live around Toronto in Canada. Then we all went back at Christmas time. Mom and dad are handing out pictures. We're organizing the will. Like this is the end. All right, Like this year for Father's Day, if my dad was still alive, it was supposed to be like in a home in a vegetable state because frontal temporal lobe dementia stops your ability to speak and swallow and do those kind of functions with your mouth and understand consequences, alright? Uh, and instead this summer my dad's driving his truck with his RV attached to it out here uh, because he's been healed? 
and he got his driver's license back, and he's still alive. Which is a bit awkward, because I spent a lot of money on those plane tickets, but... Um, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, his dementia doctors are like, you still have dementia, it's just in recession. His other doctors think maybe he was misdiagnosed, and, and I really don't care. Like, when me, my dad loves Jesus as much as anybody I've ever met. Like, loves Jesus. And, and when he got this diagnosis, he said, if this is what Jesus has for me, I worship Jesus in it, and I'm excited about it. Because what Jesus gives me is a chance to glorify him. Uh, crazy. And, that, and, and that's crazy. It, it's not supposed to happen that way. And, and that's not the only like actual physical healing and you can talk about science all you want but there are actual physical healings that are happening as people pray for it at the grove all right uh, i don't understand why god's choosing to answer our prayers but he's choosing right now to answer our prayers all right god is providing for people god is providing for our church all right um, i'm going to talk about money in just a second uh, but when our church began i remember sitting down with daryl uh, pastor daryl who's the other like other this pastor that started this with me, he's away this morning. He's at his granddaughter's baptism, so it's kind of cool. And I said, we have enough money to last to Christmas, and then I'm moving in, all right? <laughs> if this doesn't take off. And, uh, and, and so I remember those when we do the offering every week, and we'd go, can we do this again next week, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and as a church, in a horrible economic time, we're having our best year of giving ever, alright, like we're ahead of the curve, uh, and, and, and I don't mean so you don't need to give anymore, what that does is, like, we run an incredibly lean church like very low overhead and very, like, we don't have a million dollar endowment that we live off of, uh, we're living off of this, it's still like I'm moving into Daryl's house at Christmas time, just now, it's six months out, not two months out, right, uh, and, and so uh, what this does is allows us as a body to have an opportunity or to be able to take advantage of opportunities that God gives us. And it's not because um, we give more. There's actually more people giving. On the back of your bulletin, you can see this. If you look there, uh, we actually have the record of the number of households who give and the number, uh, the actual like dollar number because we want to be honest about these things. And there's funny rumors that get back to me. Like uh, two or three weeks ago, someone told me they heard a rumor that someone gave a million dollars to the Grove. And I pointed at my car and said, nope. Uh, but... Uh, if you look in the back of the bulletin, you might not be good at math, but that doesn't average out, all right? Uh, there would be huge numbers back there, and it just doesn't average out. But there's this, uh, people have been giving, and people have been giving sacrificially. It's not about someone or you giving more. It's about understanding God's role in the way we handle our money, all right? So to that end, this, this fall we're actually... Um, trying to open up ministry opportunities. We're running our first uh, like class at the Grove. It's going to be, it's a financial peace university class run through a guy named Dave Ramsey, who you can Google. We've already bought the materials in this fall. Uh, we'll be actually running this class. I think Pastor Darrell is going to be teaching it. We're not interested in, hey, uh, we work under this assumption. It's fun to give, all right? Uh, like it just is. Like when you give something, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, there's, uh, I, I mean, I think you might get something good out of getting, buying something for yourself, but when you buy that same thing for someone else, that's kind of a trip. And so we just assume that people enjoy giving. And so we, through these financial classes, want to help people, especially young people, to be able to manage their money in a way that you're able to do the things that you want to do when you're older. All right? 
like we want you to be able to have needs presented in front of you and you to be able to react to it because of the blessing that you'll receive. So this isn't about, hey, Pastor James is going to handle our money for us so he gets more of it. No. It's about me helping you to do the things that you want to do. That, for real. Like if you don't believe me, give your money to another church. I'm fine with that. All right, Because there's a lot of people that think that the Grove is um, just kind of in this wave of what God's doing. And God keeps providing for us and providing for us. Uh, and when you think about the opportunities that are given to us aren't because we've earned them. They're because God is doing something to glorify himself. All of these things that we talk about, the deepening spirituality, the changing the way we are as a church, the good reputation we have, it's not because we want to do something for the Grove. Like, honestly, we don't care about the Grove any more than it matters to Jesus. If the Grove stops being about Jesus, we need to stop. Like, just stop. If it starts being about land, we need to stop. If it starts being about uh, budgets, we need to stop. Because everything else we do outside of glorifying Jesus is a waste. And the only things we want to do are the things that glorify Jesus. Uh, I want to share this verse. Just This is how I'm going to close. And I really am going to close in about 20 minutes. Um, that's a joke. All right. Um, some of you believed me. So This is um, Colossians 2.6. All right. It says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ, uh, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. What's our reaction to God's movement? What's our reaction to God doing something that is just unexplainable, that just, isn't, just, just, just doesn't happen? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. This is the push that Paul gives us. Walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. We're not to get all excited about the things that God is doing. Because if God was doing miracles, we walk in Him. We are rooted and built up in Him. And if God isn't doing miracles, we walk in Him. And we are rooted in, rooted in Him and built up in Him and growing Him. Our response is the same no matter what. We continue to push into more of Jesus all the time. No matter what happens on the outside. Like if next week plan A falls off the table, we react the exact same. We glorify Jesus just as much. Alright? If we pray and there is no healing, we react the exact same way. And, and this, is, uh, this is how I know my dad loves Jesus because he reacts the exact same way. Whether I'm, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. If plan A works, it's Jesus. If plan A doesn't work, it's a, it's a bonus because God's going to lead me to plan B. And so there is no change in what we do. We grow in who we are as Christians. And we ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus here, now? So, for the rest of 2012, um, we're actually going to be reading the Sermon on the Mount, and that's it. Matthew, the second half of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're going to take five weeks off of this, all right? 
uh, we're going to the park one week, uh, two weeks we're having the kids join us, uh, a couple weeks for Christmas, and one week we've got some missionaries uh, that actually are on the communist blacklist in Russia. They're coming to visit us. Uh, kind of a fun deal. Um, hoping to get arrested that week, but uh, if you have Soviet descent, this, that'll be a fun week for you. Um, so we have these weeks where we're going to take just a break, but other than that, we're going to be soaking ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, I know you have it figured out, but here's what I want to, here's the new way. I know you have it under control. I know you think you're pretty stylish, but this is what I say. And this is what I want to ask you to commit to, all right? And this is real. And this isn't a commitment to me, this is a commitment to you. I want to ask you to commit yourself to the Sermon on the Mount, to being here to putting yourself under the teachings of Jesus, the most radical teachings that had ever come to earth when Jesus began to speak and people thought they had it figured out and everything changed. I don't want, like, I know you're going to be on vacation, go camping, that's biblical, alright? I'm not saying that. I'm saying if it's Sunday and you're going to go out on your boat, uh, we're going to be done by 10, 30, 11, all right? I'm, this is the longest sermon we'll have all summer because uh, I only have one birthday. But, uh, <laughs> but there is, uh, you can be in your boat by lunchtime, I promise, all right? And really, uh, you can decide, do you want to have a sunburn or do you want to change, be changed by Jesus? And if you're camping or if you're away, all of these get put online and you can listen to them and you can grow in them. And all summer long and all fall long all the way up to Christmas. Uh, there's this theory that we say like Christianity is like exercising. Like we push a lot of weight which was kind of the basic series. A lot of us grew a lot through that basic series that we did in our understanding of our role in the church. Uh, and so now we should rest. And it's summertime so Pastor James should do some fluff sermons uh, so that we can just relax. I don't think that's real. Because I don't think your spiritual life is like your biceps. I think it's a complete change in the way you live. It's not like a crash diet that you go on for a while and now we're going to eat some candy. It's like, let's change the way we live altogether. Let's actually, instead of the Sermon on the Mount being about somebody's anger or somebody's lust or somebody's marriage and somebody's divorce, what if it's about your anger and your lust? and your judgmental spirit, the divorce you went through. What if we submit ourselves to the teaching of Jesus in a way that it actually changes us? In a way that we actually sit down to pray with Jesus and say, thanks, you've kind of screwed that up. I thought I had it figured out, God. And now you've decided to actually help me live. Because if Jesus is telling the truth, then this is the best possible way to live. And if it's not, then you shouldn't follow Jesus. If it is, if Jesus is telling the truth, then you won't have a better, the rest of 2012, you won't have a better second half of this year any other way than living the life of Jesus and living in Jesus. So that's the commitment. Um, I've shared with you big things that the Grove is going through. Like we have actual like structural organizational changes happening. We have opportunities knocking on our door. We have people telling us the things and the convictions that God has put on our hearts. 
they're coming into the room and saying, here's what we think. Uh, just incredible stuff. And yet what we're going to do is not say, woohoo, we're on the right team. We're going to push into Jesus and become more Christ-like and not let up and not say, now we're on a break or now I'm on a cheat day or a cheat year. I'm actually going to change the way I live and live for Jesus. All right? I'm going to pray. Our band is going to come up and we'll worship together um, and do offering and all those kind of things that we do. Um, but really want to invite you to make that commitment. I'm going to pray right now. And if you want to make that commitment, maybe now is the time to pray that. And maybe now is the time to say, let's sit down and look at our schedule. Let's look at our summer and let's figure out how we're going to submit ourselves to the teachings of Jesus all the time. So let's pray together. Actually, let's stand and then we'll pray, all right? Um, God, our King, we, uh, we stand in your presence. Because we believe that you're here among us, because you've demonstrated it, because you've shown it, it's not just something we believe, it's something we've seen with our own eyes, it's something we've felt with our own hearts, and we know that you're working. Prayers that we've been praying for years have started to be answered. And not just in one case, in multiple cases. And so right now, God, here's, I want to pray two things. I want to pray for those among us who have prayers still, who are praying for things and they still aren't answered, for loved ones who haven't turned their hearts to you, for, for work, for healing. And I want to pray with us as a group for you to answer those prayers. And we pray boldly and aggressively, expectant that you would glorify yourself in these situations. That you would answer prayers according to your will, of course, but this is real passion that we have on our hearts for you, God. And then, Jesus, we want to pray for, for this summer. And we want to pray that as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, that you would change our hearts. That we would identify this year as the year that our church said, we're pretty hot stuff. And then noticed how much further we have to go. And it's not that we aren't cool right now, but we're cool right now for right now. And if we stay here, it'll be embarrassing like an old photograph. And so Jesus, lead us into everything that you have for us. We actually want everything that you have for us. All of the pain that we'll walk through, all of the pressure that we'll walk through, all of the trials that we're going to walk through because we want to walk into this wide open space that glorifies you. It's the desire of our heart, Lord, that you would magnify yourself in our midst and make yourself famous in our town and in our valley, in our state and in our world. We pray this only for your benefit. Amen.